0: Thank you. This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, June 18th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. The U.S. intervention in Afghanistan is approaching 17 years in length as the Taliban now controls or influences massive amounts of territory. In a forthcoming paper, War State Trauma State, Cato Institute visiting scholar Eric Goepner examines how decades of war-induced trauma that occurred before the arrival of the U.S. may have doomed the scope of U.S. efforts from the start. This is the first of a two-part discussion. When you arrived in Afghanistan, what did you feel that your mission was?
1: When my team and I arrived in Afghanistan, our mission was to legitimize the Afghan government at the provincial and district levels, which would be similar to U.S. state and uh, U.S. counties. And so in our efforts to legitimize that government, it was uh, three parts. One, get them into contact with their constituents, the villagers. Uh, Two, to increase the capability, the capacity of the government, and then three, to try and instill uh, some accountability in what uh, was about the most corrupt government in the international system at the time.
0: And why were constituents and uh, leaders in the government not sitting down and having tea?
1: Deep irony that it takes the American to bring the two Afghan groups together. As best as we could tell, it was in neither of those groups' interests to be together. And if it's okay, I'll share a quick uh, vignette of one of the shuras, which is a local uh, Afghan meeting that they historically have held, and and we participated in quite a bit, and I'll share a story from one of those. We go out uh, to a village. We bring the government, and we bring the government's um, medical teams. So provide some basic medical services, and it's an opportunity for the senior government officials to talk to the village elders. When we arrive, we hop off the Chinooks, and the Afghan governor goes to talk to the key village elder, and it's just one dude. And so he says to the Afghan villager, where are all your elders? And the uh, elder says, oh, we had no idea you were coming today, which is a lie. And he said, they're all up in the hills uh, working. They weren't. They were all in a compound uh, being hidden for their own protection. Finally, a back and forth takes place, and uh, the elders come out sheepishly, and we hold the shura. And one of the shuras basically spills the beans as to why uh, that was all taking place. And he says, please don't come here anymore. And he's talking to the Afghan government and he's talking to us, the Americans. And he goes through a story of how three years prior, uh, the Afghan government and Americans had come out and they had brought some uh, Karez irrigation cleaning uh, supplies and helped them with their irrigation systems, which is so crucial for subsistence farmers. The Taliban understood what had happened. As soon as the Americans and the Afghan government left, the Taliban came in and destroyed the Karez system, uh, beat a few of the elders in front of the community as a way to humiliate and uh, compel their obedience, if you will. And then uh, the elder continues on, and he says, And two years later you came back, and this time you dug us a well. And once again, when you left, the government um, and the Americans left, the Taliban came in and they destroyed our well and accused us of cooperating with the government and, again, humiliated our elders. Last year, you respected our wishes. You didn't come back out. Unfortunately, we pooled our meager resources and bought a rudimentary farming uh, machine. The Taliban incorrectly estimated the government had provided it to us, and they destroyed it, and they humiliated our elders in front of everyone again. And so that story was repeated throughout our time in the province, which is the Afghan villager is in jeopardy all the time. But the jeopardy is worsened when the Americans and the Afghan government come out because the Taliban gets agitated and thinks they're supporting their government.
0: So how well understood uh, was that at the time you arrived in Afghanistan?
1: So I was there 2010, uh, more or less the height of the surge. And I would uh, estimate it was poorly understood then. I'm I'm assuming it's probably poorly understood now.
0: Why is there no attempt or... um... I guess, is there is there an impetus to understand this and try to implement it? Or are the incentives uh, such that it we're not benefited by understanding those things?
1: That's a great question. Uh, in 2010, there was quite a bit of talk from the general officer level on down of uh, the human terrain. Typical combat, we um, try and understand enemy forces, we target them, and we destroy them. In this type of combat, we're trying to understand the Afghan mind, what makes them tick, And there was a certain amount of effort to understand that, um, but I think it got lost because it's too slow. And and by definition, if we're not bringing the government and its constituents together, it's really hard to see how they're going to begin supporting their government at some point. And also, just to make a quick point about why the government had no interest in being with their constituents, as far as we could tell, most government officials were incentivized by U.S. money. Uh, We brought, obviously, billions into the country, construction projects, things of that nature, and as far as we could tell, the government primary job was to skim as much off those contracts as possible through the Afghan uh, system, obviously not through us as Americans. But once that money was given to an Afghan contractor, the Afghan uh, government official who knows the, knows the system better than we do would uh, seek to skim money. Um, and, if, and that was fine. They sort of were left alone for that. But to the extent to which they would try and get out and solidify relationships with their constituents that would agitate the Taliban and that would put them at risk.
0: So when the United States arrived in Afghanistan to essentially uh, get the Taliban out of power, uh, Afghanistan had already been at, in tumult for more than 20 years. So why is it uh, – it should be difficult to believe that we didn't know – that the United States was unable to help this country develop.
1: That's a tragic irony. Um, We are very sensitive to our returning warfighters and the um, trauma that they've gone through being in combat for a year. I think estimates are somewhere between 10 ten and 20% of our warfighters will return and meet the clinical diagnosis for um, the criteria for PTSD at some point. So now think about the Afghans. Since 1978, they've been at war, and most of that has been at the highest levels of war, affecting wide swaths of that country. It's hard to put an exact number on it, um, but the estimates that I'm aware of suggests that currently between 20 and 55 percent of Afghans likely meet the criteria for PTSD, major depressive disorder, and or other additional uh, mental illnesses.
0: How had the mission in Afghanistan changed between 2001 and 2010 when you arrived?
1: 2001, it was certainly um, an attempt, an effort to destroy and defeat al-Qaeda. Became an effort to also dislodge and remove the Taliban from power. And by the time that I had arrived in 2010, I don't think anybody wanted to use the term nation building. But here I am, uh, an airman with a security background, partnered with an Afghan uh, governor and my job is to legitimize that governor and his staff in the eyes of his constituents, which sounds a lot like nation building. So it certainly had evolved and grown over time.
0: So for the U.S. military that's been in Afghanistan coming up on 17 years, um, you know, we've been captured in a way by the dysfunction that exists in Afghanistan and conti- existed before and has existed since the U.S. invasion. What is is what's step one and two to uh, dislodge the United States uh, from that situation. And, you know, obviously we were there over U.S. security uh, demands, but, you know, thread the needle there.
1: So start that with a a good vignette Uh, for fans of Dr. Strangelove who remember no fighting in the war room. Imagine the Afghan equivalent of the war room. You have two Afghan colonels. One is the number two officer for the police, and one is the number one officer for what they call the NDS. It's similar to the, to the KGB. And it turns out that the police officer had arrested the NDS agent or the NDS leader's uh, subordinate for basically hiding uh, a serial rapist in his midst. And so the cop was one of our favorites. He... Um, was brave and seemed to be as uncorrupt as is possible from an Afghan perspective. But we also estimated that he had a drug addiction because of the decades of war that he had been through. And so he self-medicated. There's no hospitals. There's no doctors for him to get any legitimate prescriptions. So he had self-medicated become a drug addict over time, simultaneously balancing remaining a brave and audacious warfighter. He was being ridiculed by his colonel counterpart, uh, who was an intellectual, and so having had enough, he withdraws his firearm ostensibly to shoot uh, his counterpart. And a buddy of mine, an uh, army officer, is there at the time and literally puts his body physically in between the two officers with now a handgun of a guy that he has reason to believe is probably high on drugs as he self-medicates, pointing a loaded firearm at him. And he speaks the only words that the Afghan colonel understood, which is, it's okay, colonel, it's okay, colonel, and eventually the colonel reholsters his weapon. He's barred from the war room for 30 days, and the next day all the government buildings have a little picture of a gun with a red circle and line through it, meaning uh, no guns allowed. And so that shows how pervasive, or it gives a hint of how pervasive uh, the trauma is in that society. And so we are left with a task where we're trying to coerce a competent government, and we're trying to force a security service to be brave. And by and large, the security service is not interested in bravery, and the government is not interested or capable in governing effectively and providing goods and services.
0: Is there any understanding of that at the highest levels of the U.S. government? Is there an i mean, there's an appreciation for it somewhere within uh, the Pentagon. There's got—is is there any uh, desire to move? Uh, this conflict, this war in Afghanistan to its end stages, as far as the U.S. is concerned?
1: Two thoughts. The first is more cynical, and that is you don't want to be the president who officially admitted defeat regarding Afghanistan. As long as we keep a residual force in the country, we technically haven't lost. The less cynical view, and this is legitimate, which is we're America. We're the country that put a man on the moon. We can do the impossible. And so we're very slow to admit that something is not within our wheelhouse, that we're not capable of affecting the change. And that's a great attribute of being an American, but there has to be some measure of, okay, 16 years of harder, more troops, more money, more aggression, keep going, more, more, more. 16 years of data should help us to say that this is not going to work. The Taliban today controls, contests, influences more territory of its country than they have at any point since we ejected them from power in 2001. It's not, the needle is not moving in a positive direction.
0: Eric Gopner is author of the new Cato paper, War State, Trauma State, Why Afghanistan Remains Stuck in Conflict, available soon at Cato.org. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.